I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Cornetto. Chocolate! It doesn't say anything about a chocolate, does it? No. No, it doesn't. Sure it doesn't. So fuck off! My boy says he can eat 50 eggs, he can eat 50 eggs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! You're certifiable, Quint, you know that? You're certifiable! Hello, Dimitri. Listen, I, I can't hear too well. Do you suppose you could turn the music down just a little? Oh, that's much better. Hello, and welcome to the latest Spool podcast. This month, we're looking at three brand new releases. Todd Haynes has returned to our screens with Carol, the new Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks collaboration, Bridge of Spies, and Johnny Depp's exercise in prosthetics and contact lens demonstrations, Black Mass. I'm here with Pork, as always. Hello, Pork. Hello. And I'm Nigel. Um, anyway, we'll ha- and we'll also hop back a week or two to talk about Steve Jobs. So, um, and then maybe preview Christmas because we're getting into that season. This is our last regular podcast. Um, so that's where we're going to be. What do you want to kick off with? Yeah. So we'll talk about Bridge of Spies. It's opening uh, opened on Friday, mm-hmm. and it's the most recent Steven Spielberg Tom Hanks collaboration, and it's based in the 1950s. Um, and Tom Hanks is tasked with defending a uh, alleged Russian spy by the name of Rudolf Abel, who's played by Mark Rylance. And I wasn't really aware of Mark Rylance, but then when I was looking up some stuff about him, he's seen yeah, as I'd, the greatest stage actor of all time. He has a wonderful face and a great demeanour and everything. I didn't recognise him. Uh, or it could, it's one of those faces you'd be like, how do I know him? Yeah. So. Apparently he's in a lot of those kind of BBC2 um, Wolf Hall books that that lady wrote um, so anyway he's fantastic and so is Tom Hanks and so Mark Rylance plays this by Tom Hanks is the defender and everybody's just like look just give him just, we're just doing this for semantics and thing but like Tom Hanks takes his Atticus Finch role and it's just like no we're going to give him a proper uh, defence he deserves it so here we have a wee clip of the two of them talking it's a court scene and just discussing how they're pretty much screwed and bound to lose how did we do in there uh, not too good apparently you're not an American citizen that's true and according to your boss you're not a Soviet citizen either well the boss isn't always right but he's always the boss. Do you never worry? Would it help? So that's kind of the the mantra of Mark Rylance, would it help? And it kind of gives an indication to the deadpan kind of humour running throughout the film. And I didn't mention that uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen uh, wrote the screenplay with this film. And to me, that kind of gives it its humour. And for me, it really didn't sit well with it. It's just too... It's Coen Brothers humour with a Steven Spielberg kind of shtick on it. And to me, it's kind of all over the place and doesn't really match. I have no idea what Nigel thought of it. Yeah, I only saw this yesterday. So, um, yeah, I was in the 19... I went to the 1950s yesterday afternoon. I saw this in a double header with the Todd Haynes film, Carol, that we're going to talk about in a while. Um, yeah, I thought it was was pretty okay. It's kind of in the... You reviewed it on the website and you gave it two out of five, and I'm kind of in the three out of five camp. Um, I thought that uh, it looked fantastic. I've never really travelled back in recent times like to 
East Berlin at the kind of formation when the wall was going up and I was confused because it was summer I believe that the wall went or that's what I've always thought and this was definitely not summer it looked absolutely freezing the snow yeah, and he so loses his coat like Tom Hanks has yeah. to travel to negotiate this uh, prisoner exchange and it looked so cold and he's sniffling and it was a really good um, sense of place and everything around that um, and actually seeing the wall go up was a bit and it got me thinking I think back in Munich um, if I'm not mistaken we see a bit with the World Trade Center going up I, th- I think I can't remember um, and but, so yeah it is cool to see the wall going up and do that um, to me it seems like because you talk about Carol there it seems very bright the whole film um, and I can't imagine cheery yeah in kind of I referenced um, uh, Alec Guinness and the kind of John le Carre looking yeah, for the those, dark bit. those yeah. kind of the spy who came in from none the cold yeah. and Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy so you don't have that darkness and that kind of murkiness and nobody can trust anyone it's it's all played really lightly like there's a bit where Tom Hanks goes and meets the the his Russian version because none of the, the, the countries can admit that they're doing this it's all very secretive so he meets the Russian counterpart in Germany and it's it's a real just kind of comedy between the two of them or something and it just it it's far too light for such a serious topic and I know Spielberg never kind of does really hard like he did Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan like I don't expect him to be some you know protest cinema avant-garde kind of person because he's not that kind of guy but when you're talking about something like that I just thought it was too breezy and it's really obvious that the Coen brothers wrote the screenplay for it They're, yeah with the Coen brothers input like there's a few characters where I did burst out laughing like the um, there's a scene that really doesn't it's very funny but the I think he's the attorney general he um, answers you know the phone rings and he screams Ut! and then he's like whoops and puts down that phone picks up another phone and goes Ut! And it is very funny, you know, it's a really, it's a comedy thing and you're like that. And then uh, the guy, Abel, Rudolph Abel, the the main prisoner who's being sent back, he supposedly has this pretend phony family who are actors, kind of, and they come in and meet and they are very co- Cohen-y as well, like that they're sort of farcical in how... Um, how kind of broad and ridiculously yeah. comedic they are. But. And I wasn't mad on the whole kind of shoving it in your face. There's a scene where Tom Hanks is travelling on a train and he sees people trying to cross the Berlin Wall. And I loved that. Yes. But then it goes home um, to America and... We get the mirror image. In America and it's just kind of like, look, America's great and we're fantastic and we're a real but democracy and look America at all these... was... See, the other thing with this is that we've been broken down over the years by like... You know, we've had Vietnam, the Iraq War, 9-11, War on Terror. Now we're America's in Syria. But in 1962, America was actually the best place in the world, like genuinely to live. Like you would. I do like that, that they painted really idyllically and he just wants to go home and lie in bed and and uh, everything. Uh, there's a closing scene where, uh, without spoiling too much, where, he, you know, Tom Hanks gets to kind of lie down at first. And it looks like he's been murdered. Like if the music wasn't the... I don't know, did John Williams do the score for this? Do we know? Not too sure. The internet's going to tell me. Um, so I don't know. I felt, yeah, that kind of thing, that it was a bit kind of cheery. But I really liked going to Berlin. The, the, the guy who plays the East German... Like East Germany was trying to get a sense of itself as well at the time. And the that's GDR. kind of funny. That Yeah. And like they're trying to be like, we're as important as America and Russia. Here we are facilitating this and... And, uh, you know, let's have that. And that guy's in the current season of Homeland playing pretty much the same character um, in it. So uh, Was he in The Lives of Others? He seems like a very prominent German actor. 
Uh, I don't know. Yeah, or maybe in he has a, he again. He's like a very on, fam- yeah, he's very, very funny familiar face. But uh, John a- Williams didn't do the score for this. He last did uh, he did Lincoln and then the Book Thief and then Star Wars Episode Seven. Um, he's doing it with Michael Giacchino. So I just thought there were so many more kind of interesting topics. Now he made his own film, which is fair enough. But I I thought there was a really interesting angle of because obviously they have to go over and try and get their American spy home. But that American spy is hated because he didn't kill himself like you're supposed to yeah and then obviously it's a totally different film like how does he cope when you're the most hated person and then you don't know how the Russian guy is going to cope when he comes home and yeah, yeah. I, it was just a, I, I am 99% sure you don't watch the TV show The Americans um so this is uh, it's a show on at the minute and do you know what it early yeah, it's 1980s kind of the 80s. one of the most underrated things in TV at the minute and it's Russian spies living in the US in the early 80s but like it plays up on a lot of these Cold War kind of spy tricks and everything and I felt like a lot of what they were doing in 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 this in Bridge of Spies was kind of like a, a cheaper but you know more expensive if that makes any sense version like less genuine kind of version of that sort of world like that the Americans is a much broad, better picture of just what it was like to be transferred and these exchanges and like the horrible horrible reality of if you get sent back to Russia and then you're probably going to be in a prisoner of war camp for a couple of months as they work out what you are what they can do with you do they starve you did you tell them anything blah 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 blah. so mm-hmm. um, I'd rather watch the new season of the Americans next year than go back but I did enjoy that's the thing like Bridges Wise it's not going to stick with me I'm not going to think about it mm. but it's good and Tom Hanks like he's sort Tom of Hanks is like you mentioned Gregory Peck he's Jimmy Stewart like he's kind of playing classic classic and when he kind of gets his cold I was really reminded of um, there was something about it that just reminded me of Walter Matthau in he was kind of doing a real oh, yeah. Kind of like, <laughs> yeah you know kind of thing um, but for me the best thing about it was Mark Rylance and Tom Hanks and but it just the, the cold film overall kind of didn't really sit well with me yeah um, also the fun thing that will link us to film we're going to talk at the end uh, Jesse Plemons is in it and he's also in Black Mass which comes out on the same day like love and he's also in Fargo which is on every day on uh, more for yeah. uh, at the minute so uh, anyway I guess we'll move on to Carol which uh, this came second in Sight and Sound's best films of the year it's the, it's the top of or should we say top of Sight and Sound's list of films that are actually available to see because their top 20 came out uh, yesterday and um, of the 20 I think I've seen 10 but maybe 8 of them just played can and have never played again one of them has seemingly just pressed screen once I can't remember what it was called and so I guess maybe 100 people have seen it so I love it they yeah. really stuck to their guns there but uh, we'll be dealing more in the end of year stuff in a couple of weeks anyway but anyway Carol is in there in second place so uh, Todd Haynes is he's been away for 8 years uh, since I'm not there which uh, I think we saw it in cinema together do we not? can't remember some Christmas season after uh, Christmas festival oh possibly actually yeah with Aetna in the IFI maybe I have a hunch of it and Kate Blanchett uh, plays one of the Bob Dylans in that film and she's back here playing the character of Carol Aird Uh, this is an adaptation of the Patricia Highsmith novel The Price of Salt which um, there was a lot of talk about changing the title I think it's probably 
a better title, Carol. You know, calling a film after a name is always a good way of honing in on that sort of like focus. They don't buy any salt in the film, Yeah, I, I, I don't know what that would even mean, The Price of Salt. I haven't read the book, so yeah. maybe it's some sort of simile in it. Any, I'll leave you to ponder that while I carry on. Um, the film tells the story of two women coming from very different places who fall in love in a time when everything is kind of working against them. Uh, we've got uh, Carol Aird, so she's a, 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 a New Jersey kind of a high society woman, but not really playing the high society games. Um, she lives in a castle, seemingly. Effectively a castle, and uh, she's trying to get a divorce from her husband with the wonderfully 1950s name of Har. What is I was, H-A-R-G-E yeah. I had to look it up I was like Hodge um, so that's played by Kyle Chandler a man who basically has been chiselled out of 1950s he's so uh, fitting for it so um, Carol has this chance encounter with the department store clerk uh, a bit like Brooklyn uh, with Saoirse Ronan but not actually uh, Therese Bellavet played by uh, Rooney Mara and the two strike up a friendship um, that slowly turns into something more and then both of them are aligned in such a way that they go on this journey together and then they fall in love and so much repressed sort of emotion we'll take a clip of them in their early kind of you know uh, friendship as it's sort of forming I'm starved bon appetit what do you do on Sunday? Nothing in particular. What do you do? Oh, nothing lately. I mean, if you'd like to come visit me sometime, you're welcome to. At least there's some pretty country around where I live. Would you like to come visit me this Sunday? Yes. <laughs> what a strange girl you are. Why? Long enough space. So, um, plenty of kind of repressed emotion there from Carol and from Therese, just sort of like, I suppose they're feeling each other out, working out, like, because at the time, if you even, you know, we, everyone was conditioned to being brought up to be, you know, to fall in love with a man. She's got the perfect kind of life. And then uh, Therese has a, her boyfriend at the time. But clearly, you know, we find out in the film they've never had sex. They've never, you know, she wants him to move in. They want to go traveling. That She's just not interested. She's interested in photography. And then she gets more interested in, in Carol. So, um... I loved it as I was expected because it got my uh, it's only my second film of the year to get five out of five after Ex Machina so uh, very good uh, yeah everything about it just sort of worked for me um, as people may or may not know I love Todd Haynes he's my favourite person uh, possibly as a director so back in college I wrote a thing on Far From Heaven the and then watched it last week as a little revisiting it and then earlier this year we did Safe the Julianne Moore a uh, film from 1994 which was kind of set in the 80s and uh, yeah I just think everything he does is fantastic so this I, I don't know I literally have no idea because you saw it too so I don't know what you yeah I saw it yesterday it. no I thought it was brilliant it's, it's really really good um, at the start it took me a wee while to get into it because I was it felt a bit phony or something some of the, the dialogue you just gotten off the M50 as well yeah you raced to it it took me a while to kind of get into the rhythm of it but um, no I think it's fantastic and you had mentioned in your thing and it reminded you no like we saw Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago to me this was the film kind of Brooklyn style wise was looking for but they're totally 100 times better yeah, you know every way you know? like the way Bridge of Spies is really light and bright and shot compared to the, the classic 60s spy films this is like a proper 
1950s America, you know, whereas Brooklyn was really light and bright and looked lovely and everything. Um, so, no, I thought it was brilliant and we won't go into the end and stuff, but I took me a while to get into it. And then, because I wondered, is Kate Blanchett just using Rooney Mara? And I felt a bit uneasy about that. Yeah. Like, But there's a great dynamic between the two of them. and It's fantastic, yeah. I saw it didn't turn like, like that, just in case anyone's seen the film I'm going to reference. Um, I saw Brief Encounters quite recently and the way the film starts, I was like... Oh, is it going to be like that? And it doesn't turn out like that. And um, I, I it's, just thought it was fantastic. Um, I like when you make associations. So that's one of the things in, if you read any press, uh, people have mentioned, oh, it starts off with the brief, brief encounter. He's like, absolutely. Like he, Todd Haynes has said that that's how he wanted to start it with the two major characters. And then a minor character sweeps in and just sort of like knots them in. And then, I don't know, I think narrative wise, like it's all one giant flashback. We see them in later, not later life, but late on in their uh sort of relationship story and then we're bounced right back and then we're like well, and it's done very well out? and I think um, the trailer kind of does it a bit of a misservice because you think that the trailer that we saw before every film in either the Eye of Fire yeah, Lighthouse for the last two months it kind of relays that the relationship between the two of them is the downfall of her marriage but her marriage has already failed before that so when you go into it and you're like oh right because she's had in a relationship with another character who's in the film yeah barely a relationship yeah, just completely be hinted at there. and it seems um, I, it was kind of nice I was saying it to Lisa to see a film where the, all the male characters are terribly two-dimensional and underdeveloped because her husband is an asshole but like it's just like oh he's a dick you're supposed to hate him and then the boyfriend is the only other male character and, and he's a gobshite he's not too. allowed to do much yeah so you you know people might know him he was in um, Obvious Child and he was in the last season of Girls as well can't remember his name real Superman looking uh, kind of Jake, character Jake Lacey yeah like I mean I mentioned about Carl Chandler belonging in the 1950s and Kate Blanchett as well we know like she's kind of Revisiting a little bit of the Catherine Hepburn stuff we saw from in The Aviator, Rooney Mara clearly shows that she's one of the most like she certainly she really seems to have like taken on the Carrie Mulligan, Audrey thing, Hepburn, or Audrey Hepburn thing, just a timelessness. Yeah, that we thought maybe, or I used to think Carrie Mulligan had in like maybe Inside Lewin Davis, like they you know you buy into them being in the fifties or sixties. Music um, is amazing as well. It's so orchestral and bills at different times. The music is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It'll be a soundtrack to buy. Yeah, and so um, it's just good. Like Todd Haynes, he he likes this era, and he likes women. He's a gay filmmaker, knows how to write either gay stories or women's stories, um, and that's not to simplify his work. But like he is very very good at it. And if you look what he's done for Julianne Moore, if you look at the way he was able to work here with Kate Blanchett, any you know we talk so much about gender inequality in Hollywood. Any female actress who isn't aspiring to kind of work with someone like him then you know it's good maybe Jennifer Lawrence could go and get a gig with with him so um, anyone who hasn't seen it I think it's really like this is this, we mentioned Brooklyn like is this the kind of one you'd send your parents to or your older I brothers and sisters so. like does it have the crossover I'm very curious to see how money wise it kind of does the audience lot. I went to see it was quite an older audience um, now it was maybe the time and setting and stuff but I do think it's getting did they, very did they know it was a gay story I think so yeah. I think that's been yeah, yeah and it's so timely now like I think it's I'm, I'm very curious to see how it holds up towards the award season like all through it 
costume design you're kind of watching you're like yeah see woman i think sandy powell is her name she's one about three but she's doing it um it's shot in 16 millimeter like cinematography yeah it looks phenomenal of all the films that are kind of getting oscar buzz at the moment i hope this this is one i'm kind of like yeah this deserves yeah. it and don't kill it like don't no, yeah. amp it up too much and then talk about it too much so we're yeah but so it's, i can't flaw it. like what age do you think Bruni mara is in real life Oh, in real life, uh, 27. No, she's 30, and Kate Blanchett is 46, but I kind of put a bigger age gap between them. But um, Yeah, she kind of maybe in the film is playing like 19, 20 or something, yeah. 19, 20 year old. Yeah, yeah. You don't really get any indication that she went to college, she's in this clerk job, and she's mm. interested in photography, so. But it's good, like, and it seems to be one that everyone is unanimously, like, I saw Mark Kermode yesterday, like, and uh, top marks and kind of five in the Irish Times from Donald Clark and it's just unanimously adored so I'm waiting for the backlash to kind of hit it <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and it's a beautiful Christmas movie as well like this is, is one of those yeah. this is one of those that's in a couple of years is going to end up in one of those films that are kind of about Christmas um, but actually aren't so it has a lovely traditional vintage sort of feel so um, go and see Carl that's the key thing here um, another movie that came out yesterday uh, Black Mass yeah, we saw this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, stars Johnny Depp based on John James Whitey Bulger, a gangster. In we saw it about ten days ago. Played a Cine World unlimited unlimited screen and um, wasn't that promising going in because I'd seen the trailer and I'd seen the the poster and stuff and it just seemed like it was going to be a macho you know men being men talking shouting at each other and it's pretty much lived up to that. Um, there's zero female characters in it of any note that have anything to do with and it's just we've seen this story so many times before Goodfellow as I said in my review came out 25 years ago this month in November and we also then had The Departed and you're kind of wondering watching it being like "Mm, Martin Scorsese did this better twice because The Departed is loosely based on Jack Nicholson plays that Whitey Bulger character because the storyline is that he's in cahoots with the feds Um. Joel Egerton plays John Connolly, who's like an FBI agent, but he grew up two doors down, basically, from Whitey Bulger. They kind of bring him in to be an informant, but he's also just supplying him, and they're getting rid of all of his competition. We also have Benedict Cumberbatch, who plays his brother, which I never really knew is a senator. Like, the true story thing where he's a senator and it's his brother, but, like, again, he's in it for kind of... And they also look... I'm not sure if I've ever kind of giggled when I was like, are they meant to be related? Yeah, you know. I got the trailer, speaking of Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, the Sherlock Christmas special is going to be out in cinema on New Year's Day. And What's the trailer look like? It looks really good, you know? It's weird, though, that they're going back in time for it. Yeah. (laughs) It's sort of of Star Trek-y in the way... Um, are they traveling back into like are they yeah. well it's like Sherlock Holmes time proper but he's yeah. been famous for modern Sherlock Holmes yeah I don't know anything about the narrative I don't even question it <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder whether they're all just playing along yeah who knows um, time travel we'll take a quick clip from it Black Mass Peter Sarsgaard plays a classic kind of junkie character and here we have love Peter Sarsgaard yeah he's kind of good he's not in much no no um, but again he's playing a cliche so we have Johnny Depp as Whitey Bulger telling him to take the money Brian take the bag I want you to have it yeah I want you to have it to do the hit on on the wheel no. That's twenty thousand dollars for you to not do the hit. I'm okay. 
Take the money, keep your mouth shut about what you just heard. It's best you're not involved. Take the money, take the money, take the money. Okay. Um. So I should go now? Yeah, you should go now. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, so it's very underwhelmed by it. It's very boring. Nothing original in it. Um, Johnny Depp. We had a bit of a debate the next day. I was like, I could review it. I nearly forget everything. And then you kindly offered to yeah. step in and write it up because it's just you're left with very much of what really stuck with me from it. I think we both had that. I nearly started a fight in the cinema with the guy. That's more memorable. When I think back, it's like, what about Black Mass? The guy beside me took out his phone and was just... He was 10 minutes in, but there's an interesting mark. He just took his phone out to check his messages after 10 minutes. Yeah. So he's obviously sort of on the edge, but we cool. sorted him out. Johnny Depp is actually pretty good in it. You do kind of get the sense of menace that this character must have um, warranted from people, but... Because it's not a physical, like, he's not a big man, he's not muscly, like, he's, I suppose he doesn't come across all that strong. Um, it's all just, the eyes, just which, his demeanour. Yeah. But was fake for me. He looks really old and has these bright, sparkly eyes. And I looked at photos of the character to be like, oh, was that his character, you know? Mm. And it was just like, well, I didn't see people, that Yeah, people talk about the bulger stare. Um, all the stuff with the Ra so. is hilarious, which always panders the Irish <laughs> audience. There's a scene where he ran guns for the IRA. Oh yeah, who was the guy, um, the IRA contact? Uh, oh, I don't know, yeah. he was, but that was good and then they put it on the boat. Yeah. In real, like, that, that got a kind of a giggle at our yeah, screening. Like. That happened in real life and the character, the guy who got arrested on the boat and who was done in connection with it was Martin Ferris. It's on Wikipedia, the Sinn Féin. Like, uh... MP, not MP. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it MN uh, Northern Ireland thing? No, no, he's done. He's the guy from Kerry, that guy. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. So there you go. He was involved with that. Yeah, but we're not saying anything like no, it's not yeah. proven. It's all just <laughs> supposedly. Asterisk, supposedly. Yeah. General election, not far. Sure so we'll we have to show balance. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, then maybe we can we can discuss it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, like it's sort of the one, I don't know, like Black Mass, I think people were, you were looking forward to it for the performance and it's perfectly fine, but there's too much good stuff out there to really warrant that being the movie that like, you know, you spend 30 quid yeah. to go to like or something. Um, and it's hilarious. You see all the good ones for Cine World Unlimited. This is, I think, the way yeah. you weigh up. You're like, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, I'm not going to pay real money to go see this. Yeah. And it has its poster plastered all over, you know, like masterpiece, best film of the year, best gangster film of the year. No, it's not. Um, so, yeah, still go to Carol. Yeah, I'm still winning. Um, another one then that came out a couple of weeks ago at this stage was the uh, Danny Boyle's adaptation of uh, Aaron Sorkin's script for Steve Jobs. It's rare that you get a film where the screenwriter gets more like column inches than the director like not a lot of people were talking about the fact Danny Boyle did this it was all like Aaron Sorkin Aaron Sorkin is Danny Boyle well known do you think in America though yeah maybe not maybe he doesn't carry like he has won an Oscar and stuff but maybe he's just maybe he's still just a a director like he's not in that scale of Mm. like crossover stuff that Sorkin has so um, it's loosely based on Walter Isaacson's authorised biography of the Apple creator genius magical man um Anyway, here's a clip of Michael Fassbender playing Jobs, uh, speaking with fellow Apple uh, visionary founder Steve Wozniak was. So it's a weirdly patronizing kind of thing, so. You were saying things about the Apple II and the way you were treating the team was. 
You get a free pass for life. I gotta get back on stage. We got like two minutes of rehearsal time left. Do you understand how condescending that just was? Well, maybe you don't. I don't want to see you get dragged off. And I get a free pass for life from you. You give out the pass. You give them to me. You're gonna have a stroke, little buddy. What did you do? What did you do? Why has Lisa not heard of me? Man, how many fourth graders have heard of you? You can't write code. You're not an engineer. You're not a designer. You can't put a hammer to a nail. I built the circuit board. The graphical interface was stolen from Xerox Park. Jeff Raskin was the leader of the Mac team before you threw him off his own project. Everything, someone else designed the box. So how come 10 times in a day, I read Steve Jobs as a genius? What do you do? I play the orchestra. And you're a good musician. You sit right there. You're the best in your role. There we go. Plays the orchestra. A nice simile type thing for as it all plays out in an orchestra kind of does. Yeah, and it's in an orchestra pit. So um, yeah, this I had huge high hopes for, but then sort of slightly tempered by the fact that it got when it came out in America, it didn't make much money and got a lot of kickback from uh, the tech community, I suppose, because they're like, well, it's not really the Steve Jobs story. So unlike the Social Network, which people really did embrace, even though that wasn't really the Zuck- Mark Zuckerberg story, but people seemed, but like, I think because they don't like more, him, they don't date. Yeah, he's, he's not, as not much dead. Of a hero. He didn't die of cancer. He's still alive, and he mm. kind of seems a bit weird in public. But yeah. Steve Jobs is dead now, and he died of cancer, and he seemed to, in his latter life, do a lot of work for charity and stuff. But so people are a bit like, oh, I don't know that kind of thing of he can't speak ill of the dead. It's not like he was Hitler, so you can't yeah. really tear him apart. Now, the film in the end... He certainly isn't Hitler. You know, <laughs> comes together in this kind of... Um, he kind of comes full circle and he's, like, redeemed himself with regard... Because there's a whole underlying, underlying storyline of... Is he the father of this girl? And he is, pretty much, like he is. And he had some horrible stuff at the start when he's like, she's not my daughter. And he did this mathematical equation thing. Um, Which I thought was in a time... Yeah, I'd like to go back and read. He gets obsessed then with that Time article from 1984 or whatever like it's really it's the story kind of of a re- like redemption so it starts in 1984 just after the the uh, Macintosh is announced and they like the Apple II computer had done very had done really well and this is a computer that Steve Wozniak had had worked on with um, Jobs and then Jobs came up with this next it's not the next thing. Sorry, it's like his his. He got his next out of Apple. Was. Yeah, and but then Macintosh was a was a flop, and so then he gets ousted, and he builds something for a company called Next. But really, he's which I thought was very clever, which is now considered sort of truth that whereby he was really only building it so as to woo Apple to take him back, so as it could be sold back to them, and then um, then that happens, you know, in the late nineties, and then the iMac is born and everything. So it's really about how one guy kind of revolutionized desktop computing but not really like um, so I would have liked it more maybe if but there's an interesting battle between Jobs and Wozniak in a flashback where it goes back to the garage and mm-hmm. you see kind of Jobs being like no I don't want anyone to be able to get into this and we can't have X number of ports because like I don't want people tinkering around yeah, yeah. when computers were just seen as almost like a hobby thing where like a car, like a, and like a car engine where yeah. you can take it out you could upgrade your carburetor you could yeah. you know put more like you know if it's an 8 cylinder you want to put more on it where 
whereas he's like no 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 we'll just put it in a case and the only way you can do it is with an apple which is a phenomenal like when he was thinking if you think about it if he was thinking about it like that um, it's only now that that's become the, the de facto okay thing like with your iPad your iPhone these are all sealed back phones now like you know even a couple of years ago your Samsung you could take out the battery and now everyone's like fuck it like we can make it lighter we can get a better battery in provided you don't need to get in there yeah and so it, it was really very that was sort of very revolutionary I think as a way of thinking and he got a bit of abuse for it and everyone's like no I want to use my mouse that I can use for other stuff and he's like no you have to buy the Apple peripheral yeah. and that's why it failed I think because at the time but I think what at the end there's a beautiful moment where he's talking to Lisa and she has the Sony Walkman on his uh, on her waist and he sa- he kind of looks at it and I'm sure it's completely fictionalised but he says I'm going to gonna revolutionise I'm going to put that music in your I'm pocket put and put all your music your pocket or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's a great line and then you're like oh Oh, that's kind of the movie I wanted to do, like whereby his next step where he revolutionized uh, portable computing in the way that their desktop computing had come full circle. And you're like, oh, I'd like to see the sequel where we go into mm. the the iPod and the iPhone So as a thing. And also the cancer and all like, because I yeah. think there's such a change if you read the book as well in around like after about 2001 just as the iPod was taking over like Apple completely changed and like no one really had access like he had a sea change in his outlook on everything I think after that and we don't really we obviously we don't get to go that forward to see much of that because there is a recurring character of a journalist who seems to cover all these things and uh, yeah for GQ a, magazine Kate Winslet is great in it I think she's kind of his um, PA and work wife isn't that what she yeah, calls herself yeah. she is good yeah like um, and she has to kind of pick up all the pieces and she follows him everywhere from and Apple to Next and then back again Sorkin has that great skill of doing male-female relationships and there's kind of a romantic thing and you do wonder is there something between them But and then Steve Jobs kind of goes to one point and he's like why do we never sleep together it is yeah. that kind of classic Sorkin um, style and the dialogue and everything is fantastic it was a bit too the redemption stuff at the end I was a bit like oh, I'm not really buying that it has these lovely quips one-liners and there's a really the whole thing is a really clever construct I think because all of the things take place before product launches and they all take place in like theatres so it is like you're just watching yeah. this play and it's all going behind the and scenes in the ground, and the orchestra piece yeah. as he just walks out I, I liked it obviously completely you know, untrue and yeah, all that like the way but it's really entertaining I thought it's really engrossing um, yeah and I think that's it if you step back from it and view it as a man's sort of story and yeah. not the, and it, yeah, I think because I had watched the, the Alex Gibney the documentary maker had done a documentary Steve Jobs The Man in the Machine which I kind of watched it and I was like oh I can't wait for this I watched it a little while ago and so when you watch it it sort of complements it but like it's the actual Steve Jobs story whereas this is more of a thing based around some, yeah. some dramatical or sorry, dramatic theatrical events in his life but um, but it was good I mean it's enjoyable but yeah. just a bit a bit I had pumped it up so much in my head because from the trailers and stuff I was like this is going to be fantastic the trailer is massive Aaron Sorkin fan Danny Boyle is great and Fastbender you're like this is going to be the best film ever and it's just kind of it, it goes a bit too Americanized towards the end I think yeah where are you coming down in the marking I'll give it three and a half three and a half yeah and I'm in the kind of two and a half to three kind of thing so yeah. while we disagree our ratings aren't actually that different so um, that's it yeah so I don't know movie moment of the month have you got one uh, it's from Carl there's a great scene it's um, her Oscar speech contending contender scene uh, it's more so a phrase Kate, it's, Carol's one yeah Carol Kate Blanchett um, she's kind of having a go with her in uh, litigation with the divorce and it's all turned very nasty and she's this outburst but she's a brilliant phrase where she just 
basically says to your man um, that you would expect me to go against my grain and I was like that's a brilliant phrase to mm. kind of deny her lesbianism and um, yeah adapted by it's sort of interesting like written by uh, a female playwright in the 50s uh, Patricia Highsmith was it and then uh, Phyllis someone another female uh, playwright now in her 50s has adapted it so oh, hopefully it'll, you know that's always fun when you get yeah. someone from that world um, in uh, mine is a very different one but has a link because Julianne Moore is a favourite of Todd Haynes so it's uh, from the Hunger Games which uh, finally finished after whatever amount of years so these are some fun young adult books and the way you took to the Twilight world I kind of got into the Hunger Games um, it's just Katniss Everdeen the final act of killing uh, there's a big public assassination set up for President Snow played by Donald Sutherland he's tied to a pole she's there with the arrow and then she kind of tilts it and she shoots uh, Julianne Moore's character who actually was head of the oh you know, spoiler it is a big spoiler but it's also one of the most read books oh okay uh, in the thing so it's a great uh, spin but then it's Philip Seymour Hoffman in this one yeah so that's exactly why okay. Philip Seymour Hoffman then they cut to his reaction and you're like that's the weirdest framed scene obviously they never got to get the footage of his reaction because he'd been the mentor through the whole thing and he has this weird thing of leaning against the wall looking around and it's not CGI Felicity Moore Hoffman but it's a uh, it's just a weird, weird scene and it becomes very obvious that he passed away before the end of it. So I kind of enjoyed that, if nothing else. But he's good in it for the little he gets to do. Um, and then the film wraps up and then we enter Lord of the Rings territory where we get four endings. Four endings, And out. kids and like frolicking in, you know, in, in meadows and everything. So could have done without that. But very strong. It's a good, not much happens plot wise in, in the whole thing, but great action. Hard not to be affected by the whole thing. Always happens when you divide a book into two films, probably. Exactly, exactly. So that's it. Um, we will now have a bit of a chat about what is happening in uh, December. It's sort of funny to look at the schedule um, because Star Wars is the central thing. It's all December everybody seems to care 18th. about, but both the IFI and the Lighthouse are having uh, film season, so the Lighthouse is kind of their please everybody. Um, got Gremlins and Elf and Sing Along, what's it called? Uh, Frozen. Along Frozen, which I and thought was like kind of fun. And it's like an Elf karaoke uh, thing as well. But you can get all their info on the website and then the IFI is kind yeah. of more the classic growing. The IFI have gone a bit more classic with theirs. So they've got It's a Wonderful Life, uh, which they just have every year. And I think that's going on its sort of two-week run. Um, the Red Shoes is possibly the one that. I'm going to try to yeah. catch the classic from this year. Um, and then they've Scrooged the 1951 version and then in a Maureen O'Hara uh, sort of tribute exactly they're showing Miracle on 34th Street um, which, is one of her fa- which was one of her favourites um, um, which is I always see as more of a New Year's film but I suppose which, which when, when Harry I, met Sally yeah I guess so it's opening December 11th so will it stay open for three weeks yeah because the lighthouse are showing that on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve I think or New Year's Day perhaps mm. um, so yeah that's good and, Christmas film. and the most underrated of them all Hugo 3D is playing on December 27th I never uh, regard that as a Christmas film it's a great film but it's a good yeah. family one yeah I don't know why and it's very good in 3D it's one of the films yeah. that weren't in 3D so that's kind of it like it's a good one I am, I am enjoying the fact that uh, a movie which sounds like the wackiest thing ever it's called The Forbidden Room I was looking at what's going to come up against Star Wars on the 18th so this is basically um, it's directed by Guy Madden and Evan Johnson um, and it is like a very abstract kind of thing uh, I'm trying to just read this quote 
The film follows over a dozen strands which seg and intrude into one another with an invigorating lack of logic, creating instead a convoluted Matryoshka doll-style narrative. Included in these threads are a guide on taking a bath, a submarine crew nervous about their volatile cargo, a lumberjack seeking to rescue a damsel in distress, the dreams of a sentient volcano, and all populated by a starry cast featuring Charlotte Rampling, Matthew Almerick, Geraldine Chaplin, and Elena Lowen. So, so that's called The Forbidden Room. If you can't get tickets to see Star Wars, go and blow your mind with that. Um, not much else sort of in the in the month, I don't think, really. The Grandma. Ter- I'm kind of looking to see, forward to see Grandma. Yeah, it's December 11th. And then, uh, yeah, Paul. So that's kind of it. And then Sunset Song looks like a nice classic World War II drama. Hmm. Terence Davies. It's out next week, December 4th. But basically, all signs are kind of pointing towards Star Wars, aren't they? So yeah. we will have, in about two weeks' time, we'll be revisiting episodes four, five, and six which uh, I think we're quite excited about. Yeah, I've watched uh, A New Hope already and I'm like, oh, it's so much better than all the three prequels uh, put together. We'll see, we'll see. Um, looking forward to it though. And then a week or so after that, we will have our, or actually two weeks, closer to Christmas maybe this year, we'll have our end of year stuff. So as always, if you're seeing your favourite movies, get in touch with us, send them in a list to us in your kind of we, picks for 2015. We didn't manage to beat Sight and Sound, but... Uh, We'll all have our list. It's too early. They have their yeah. print deadline, I suppose. I think that's why they come up with it. Must yeah. have been. Anyway, um, we're going to wrap up with a movie that is uh, 25 um, this year. The John Hughes, a little movie called Home Alone, right? Um, so uh, here's a kind of classic scene from it. I think it's playing as one of the lighthouses. It's playing in the lighthouse, yeah. And uh, so here is uh, one of those classic scenes, which kind of ties into another movie, which is 25. Yeah, Goodfellas. It's the gangster scene from Home Alone. So Yeah, yeah. so that's it. All right, thanks very much, everyone. Bye-bye. See you again. Hey, i tell you what I'm going to give you, snakes. snakes. I'm going to give you to the count of 10 to get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. One, two, ten. Keep the change, you filthy animal. I don't know who's in there, but somebody just got blown away. Huh? Somebody beat us to the job. They're in there. Two of them. There was arguing. One of them blew the other one away. Who? I don't know. I thought I recognized one of their voices. And I know I heard that name Snakes before. Snakes? Snakes, snakes. I don't know no snakes. Snakes. Let's get out of here.